Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where we talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent, they cost half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days no risk. We guarantee you being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io. Well, let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today, I'm excited to have Aaron Ross of Predictable Revenue. He is the both the author of Predictable Revenue and Outbound Sales and Consulting Company with the same name. Today, we'll talk about Aaron's startup adventures, how he honed his skills in outbound marketing, and some of the best tips he has to help you improve your outbound marketing. How are you today, Aaron? Uh, good. I'm happy to be here. Great. So let's start off. Um, maybe you can give us a quick intro into who you are and, and what you're up to right now. Yeah, well, the quick version is uh, had a company that failed. I was, well, engineer at school, Stanford, ended up starting a tech company that failed. It's like, oh, I got to learn sales. Got a sales job at salesforce.com. Created a very predictable, you know, a team that did all the outbound prospecting in a very predictable way. Helped them almost double their growth. And wrote a book about it there called Predictable Revenue. Uh-huh. Started a consulting company. It's about a five, six million dollar sales services company outbound prospecting. Okay. And wrote a sequel called From Impossible to Inevitable. So funny, you know, my engineering background was even more, I, you know, I know, it's hard to tell now, but that was really where my roots were. Mm-hmm. Uh, learned about sales and it's just kind of weird now, you know, it's when, you, when I grew up, I never expected to. You know, be like a sales or growth uh, thought leader or expert, but yeah, not this. Engineering, when you say engineering, can you be more specific? Were you in development or were, um, what were you doing? You know, I did some, so I did pro- coding in high school, but did end up doing uh, civil engineering. Okay. In uni. Didn't want to do that for a career, so I went to uh, invest in banking. I mean, I, I obviously, sk- I'm, I'm getting up there, but I skipped over a few uh, interim yeah. steps. Um, Desert survival trip and other things. But yeah, I think just growing up, I was interested in math and science and engineering, building stuff. I still like building stuff. Had no idea about sales and marketing, kind of learned the hard way, like a lot of people. Yeah. um, In different ways. And, you know, now I guess I kind of blend the two. How do a lot of my work really is around how do you create, take companies and whatever the product is, people, but a lot of today, the go to market, which is kind of the way you market and sell. Mm-hmm. SaaS companies, especially, is very similar company. Yeah, in the B two B space, as long as it's kind of you know somewhat similar like deal sizes, uh-huh. but there's so much similarity. Uh, it's crazy though. Like people just recreate the wheel almost every time. Okay, that's very interesting. So um, this show, as I mentioned in the um, intro, is about the zero to thirty thousand. The reason I cover that is because I presume once you hit thirty thousand MRR, 
you know, if you're bootstrapped, you're pretty much, you found product market fit and you're sort of sailing on, you know, I mean, you may hit some plateaus and stuff. Would you agree with that? Uh, it's probably a good, yeah. I mean, it's within the range. So 30, you know, 30,000, 20, 30, 50,000, you know, double digits MRR. Yeah. Some kind of product market fit. Uh-huh. Uh, there's still a difference though, between when business is coming to you organically and people kind of find you, there's word of mouth through customers, through investors, through friends or community built. And that kind of growth is different than proactive growth, right? Outbound growth driven by outbound prospecting, outbound marketing, uh-huh. where you found a way to reach out to people who don't know you to start conversations. So those you know, product market fit implies there's a one-time event mm-hmm. kind of there is In reality it's almost you're really thinking about product you know the way to keep growing is to think about like product channel fit and it's mm-hmm. really like message channel fit how do you get the messaging right in your marketing which again there could be a lot of different ways you market how do you get the messaging right in your app on prospecting because mm-hmm. just because you have product market fit in your own mind doesn't mean you're going to be able to do paid growth in a successful way Okay, that makes sense. So what do you find most of your customers are coming to you at? Uh, are they sort of in that range? Are they 20,000 to sort of 50 or you get the whole gamut? Well, let me talk about two kinds of customers, right? There's the readers of the books and that's where you know, people like the impossible to inevitable book. Any founder or C-level should read that. It'll be the $20 or 20 pounds that saves your life. Mm-hmm. Read the number one SaaS book by Book Authority. Did it with a guy named Jason Lemkin. So start there. That's really because anyone who wants to it's not start a business because it's really not so much starting one. Like Peter Thiel wrote a book called From Zero to One. Yeah. Um, the Impossible to Inevitable book is, okay, if you got one, you've got something, you've, you have some sales, how do you grow them? Mm-hmm. So can anyone with that kind of company? Now, for actually like consulting clients in the, uh, for our consulting company or for ones I work with, they tend to have at least a million or two in revenue. And on up, I mean, it could be, you know, we've got enterprise companies like Cisco or, but the common theme is they've got some revenue, they've got some customers and they want to make outbound prospecting work, Okay. whatever their size is. But they, you have enough traction where you've got enough data points so you can say, hey, we've got 50 customers. Mm-hmm. And so we've kind of learned what works and what doesn't because of the first 50 customers, 15 have completely failed. And 15 are amazing. And there's a bunch, you know, 20 in the middle that are like, great. And so we know with a lot more clarity, what if we're going to go out and get more customers, whatever the channel is, we have a lot more confidence that we can spend money in marketing or prospecting and get a return on that. Okay. And what would you say your your expertise is in outbound? Because, I mean, when I hear outbound, so I think is that cold email, LinkedIn, um, what would you say your specialty is? Well, outbound prospecting and selling. So outbound prospecting, would be when you have a human involved mm-hmm. because there's all kinds of there's a whole many gray areas with outbound marketing and automated stuff but you have a human involved and there or humans and you're kind of deciding what companies to, or do we want to target and we're yeah we're going to use a blend of often the big three are linkedin email and the phone mm-hmm. there's other cold calling too. cold calling but you know, there's different versions of cold calling yeah. you can yeah, there's different versions. There's different techniques you can use with the phone. There's different techniques you can use with email or LinkedIn, but you're using those typically in concert to get responses in meetings. Right. Okay. So that's what our specialty is, is that outbound prospecting motion where you've got people involved who are driving it. 
there, there might be some automation, but there, there's people involved trying to connect with other people. Okay. Can you break down then your the process that you go through? I remember from uh, predictable revenue that was sort of two thousand sort of fifteen. Is that right? Have the techniques changed? Originally came out in twenty eleven. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was updated in twenty nineteen. Okay, yeah. And have the techniques changed? I mean, they've obviously changed. Yeah, changed um, every yeah all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like. I come to you as a, as a client, like, where do you start? What do you, what do you break down the, you go dive down into customer metrics or where do you start? Yeah. Well, um, if I start to kind of, the, I'll do this short version at the very beginning, um, which is, you know, should you even do pro outbound prospecting or not yet? Right. And so the short, and there's a whole section in the impossible book about this, but the short version is there's a spectrum, like skits, the return on the effectiveness of outbound and, whether it's outbound marketing or outbound prospecting, it's not mm -hmm. that different in some ways. But, you know, if you are typically a product company with a bigger deal size, like customers that are spending at least several hundred dollars per month mm -hmm. on up. Mm -hmm. um, so you can, your lifetime value is probably at least ten dollars or $20,000 on up. Mm -hmm. And it's you have a differentiated product. Like you're going to get more, you know, your ROI is going to be higher on outbound. And then on the flip side, the more you're angled towards like services or hard things that are hard to explain and lower deal sizes, you're going to get less value out of outbound. If you're in a commoditized market where you don't really stand out, you know, so it's very challenging in things like hosting and agencies and there's ways around that, but you have to decide, hey, is this right for us or not? Mm -hmm. Let's skip ahead. You're prospecting. Right? You're trying it. You're not really getting results. Pretty typical. Like, what do we do? So then what you start with is you cannot, not even the emails and LinkedIn's and phone call or whatever you're doing, your techniques, which are important. And that's what everyone obsesses, which is what's, what should I write in the email? Tactics. Yeah. Tactics copy. Is important. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't matter what you say in the email or say on the phone call or in link, the LinkedIn if you're targeting the wrong companies. Mm -hmm. So the biggest waste of time and energy and money is people prospecting to companies who are not even a fit. So that is really this diligence around the simplest idea I can give you for this is go back to your customers. Remember I said, you, if you've got 10, 50, a thousand customers and say, mm -hmm. okay, let's divide them into kind of like buckets or segments. What customers need us the most and why, and mm -hmm. how are they different from the customers that were nice to have to? Okay. If they signed up because, you know, they're a friend or, you know, you just kind of say, which ones really needed you the most and for the most money? And how do you define them, including how they're different from the others? And then if you define the ones that need you the most, how do you find more of them? And that's a step that most companies don't do is fall into the trap of trying to kind of think, well, everyone should use us. Everyone could use us. So let's just go talk to everybody. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, outbound is already challenging enough. Mm -hmm. Unless you're talking to people where they really need something that you've got, you just, it's not going to work. Okay. So ultimately, that discipline to focus on a smaller, more targeted type of account and person and problem is what then leads you to the next tactics, which is, you know, emails, LinkedIn, phone calls. Okay. So now, those are the kind of the, the three steps, right? Should you even be doing outbound or not? Are you targeting the right kinds of situations or not? Now, what are you saying in your messaging? Uh, so that's interesting that you say whether you should even be doing it because I think as SaaS companies, their first go-to 
is outbound prospecting. It's in yeah. some point like LinkedIn is really like a, a pretty safe, um, you know, you go to sales navigator, you know, as you say, you break down your customer avatar and you, you know, roughly the vertical, the size of the company and stuff. That seems like a pretty safe return of investment. If you can get, you know, yeah. someone going in, but you're saying that there's some places where you don't, I mean, for a SaaS yes. company, is that really true? Yeah. Because for SaaS companies, when there's products, so think about this. If it's kind of simple to explain what you do, mm-hmm. great. If you have a trouble explaining what you do, it's a separate challenge. You have to kind of figure out how to make it simple to who before you, it's going to work. Uh-huh. Um, but probably more relevant is deal size. So if your yeah. customers, if you don't have a type of customer, not your average, but there's some type of customer that's not paying you, again, at least several hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. better is even thousands a month, um, you're not going to make money at Outbound. You can do Outbound for learning like hey let's just go talk to people yeah um but you're not gonna the way the funnels work out you know so let's say if you're someone who's doing outbound full-time and you talk to 20 possible customers this month and and three of them sign up as customers which would be but what they're signing up for is 50 dollars a month yeah and so after you you know so you spent five thousand dollars and you know, the math just doesn't work out. You just can't make money at it. Right, right. So if you, if you are in a company where all your customers are smaller, then again, like, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month or less, mm-hmm. you don't have a type of customer where you can sell to a higher ticket. You mm-hmm. can still do outbound, but I would focus on outbound to either like marketing opportunities, like people who might interview you or do like a joint blog or, right. Okay. Or if there are channel partners that, you feel like have made sense or would make sense. Okay. So basically outbound to people who would have access to bigger pools of your types of customers where, you know, again, if you have like $50 a month types of customers or $20 a month or $5 a month, you need a lot of those customers. Right. Right. And so you can't be doing appointments one at a time with them. Okay. So you're looking for bigger channels, affiliates or something like that, influencers where you can go in, make a deal they run it out to their list and you can sign up a couple hundred instead, you know, and that's, Ideally, that can... it sounds good. It's never quite that simple, but yes. Right. Right. But, yeah. but and you're really that... looking to establish a few good relationships where you can, can, can you know, the perfect world is you've got a, um, it's quality over quantity. So mm-hmm. fewer, bigger, better customers you sign up through outbound or fewer, bigger, better channel partners or uh, media or marketing partners that you kind of work together with over time. Okay. That's, that's the ideal state. Okay. How do you find, um, what tools do you use to um, break down and find the best customers? Um, you know, there's, okay, for that side, there's no, because um, there's all kinds of AI, this and that, that promise mm-hmm. they can do that. But generally, again, if there's some tool that promises that they can scan your customer data, and they probably want a lot more data points than you've got. Mm-hmm. If we're talking here, if you're in that, zero to 30,000 MRR. Some of these apps, when they're talking about technology, they might say they want at least 50 data points. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, but it's a lot simpler. I mm-hmm. mean, just get a whiteboard or a virtual whiteboard. And, you know, you and the key people who've actually sold customers, the people mm-hmm. involved in it, mm-hmm. and just, you know, map it out. Like, which kinds of customers do we have? If we've got 20 customers, if 19 of them are not a good fit for, you know, going forward, but one of them is amazing. That's who more like that use, one. Yeah. Okay. So, and then to find those customers. Are, are you, list building? Yeah, list building. I mean, let's say, I mean, I've used in the past, I've used like Apollo.io, which was, you know, was actually quite, it was quite good. 
Yeah. And there's a, there's a bunch and there's so many pros and cons. So there's the big one is Zoom Info. They bought something called Discover Org. Zoom, uh-huh. Zoom Info. I always track. But if you target IT customers, they actually, t- I think, have a more, a bigger advantage in terms of quality of the database. Okay. But there's a lot that are pretty similar, like seamless.ai, lucia.co. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, honestly. And they're all pretty similar. So what people on my team recommend is pick out three and get a sample and just kind of test them for what fits you. Mm-hmm. Because you can't always tell. Now, if you're targeting kind of like general companies, mm-hmm. um, there's all kinds of special situations. Like if you're targeting companies with at least, you know, 30 to 50 employees and up, they're probably going to be in most data, in a bunch of databases. Mm-hmm. If you're targeting companies smaller than that, you're going to have to look around to see what you can find or what you can scrape because they're just, they're not going to, you know, you have to look at Yelp or community sites. So there's niches, mm-hmm. um, whether they're really small businesses where it becomes more challenging and you have to be more creative and going out there to look for data sources, whether there's a database you can get to, whether there's, you know, pre-done tools or whether you have to hire a uh, firm to do it manually. Yeah. Do you have some like strategies that you do for cleaning the data? I mean, is it all just personalized? You feel like you need the CEO or is it, I guess it depends, right? It, who, whoever's yeah, it making the purchase. Who's ever making the purchasing yeah. decision? So if it's uh... you, you do want to test it, where you want to ideally go kind of top down. So if you feel like that a VP is the typical buyer, you want to focus on VPs and the level up above them. If you feel like the manager is the right buyer, because again, like who are your ideal companies and who are the ideal buyers, and then from there, where can you get the right people who are, is that type of buyer plus some people who are related to them, kind of above and below and to the side of them. Okay. And stick with email. I mean, what are some of the strategies that you found effective for email? So you've got a list, you've cleaned. First of all, you've figured out your ideal client. You build that list using one of these AI tools. Do you do you have like a number you like to go for? You like to get a decent, like say two or 3,000 to start off with or? Um, again, totally depends because some companies are targeting like 20 strategic accounts or five. So okay. I think if you're looking for... to Think about like batches of like a hundred to test whether something works or not. Okay. So if you send a hundred emails mm-hmm. and assume that that's the hundred that don't bounce. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get zero responses, didn't work. If you get one positive response, you know, the thing is response rates have been going down every year. Like every channel, everything gets busier. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn getting great response, you know, was going incredibly well till everything, you know, like, the track record is channel works, so everyone piles in, it gets busier, so it stops working as well. Like that was the phone, that was emails, LinkedIn. So, you know, a hundred, a couple hundred, you don't need two, two or 3,000 to start doing A-B testing or testing whether a campaign works. Mm-hmm. You think about a hundred or 300, what you're looking for is on the outbound side of the email specifically, because response rates and things change by channel, email, mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Again, even on LinkedIn, there's connection requests versus email, there's a uh, what you're looking for is probably more like a 1% to 3% response rate these days on email. Okay. Um, so again, if you send 100 and you get zero, then it's a problem. Okay. From there, you just basically you use that, okay, that's part of your A-B split test. That didn't work. I need to change subject line or something like that or maybe change the... Uh... Yeah, you can start breaking it down because there's a lot of possible variables to test. Uh-huh. I mean, this is where... It, uh, every year it gets a little more complicated. There's also things like the way you have your email 
settings set up with something called DKIM. And um, right. you know, I got people on the team who handle some of that stuff, but kind of trying to increase your deliverability so that Gmail or other inboxes aren't as likely to flag it as spam or uh, promo or something. Promo, yeah, promo. Yeah. So there's that part. Sometimes you want to use a separate domain name just in case that you you or someone on your team is just spraying things and does something to blacklist you. Right. Um, there's a lot of people who will be like, yeah, okay, I'll just I'll load up, I'll buy a tool, I'll load up um, 2,000 people from Xerox mm-hmm. or I get like 500 people from the same company. I'll just email them all at the same time. And people do that. I'm not sure why. Yeah. So, uh, and then if you think about even just email, there's the subject line, there's the first the content, there's the signature, there's the when you send it. So you think mm-hmm. about the three T's, timing, templates, and targets. Mm-hmm. Um, when are you going to send it? What day of the week? What time? Uh, target would be, you know, to what kind of company, what kind of person, and template would be the content. And there's so there's a lot you can test, and it takes more effort than people realize to actually run uh, kind of like a measured test to see what's working or not. Okay, so, so you, you're basically going through in batches of 100 testing. You have sounds like you probably have a checklist that, that you go through testing 100 emails at a time. Is that, is that sort of the Yeah, I mean, it's not a checklist. You usually come up with like, here's our, you know, A, B, and C, you know, here's some versions. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start by looking at, we're just, we can't change everything for each version. So we're going to do three versions and we're going to change the bot. We're going to keep the subject the same and everything except for the body. Yeah. Right? And we're going to see how that goes. And then you might look at the open rates and you want open rates of, you know, higher than 20%. Um, so it gets into, there's all kinds of complex things you can do, but essentially, again, going back to, you can cut up all, all that. I repeat it again. It's amazing how often people are prospecting to companies and people who aren't even a fit. Yeah. So don't forget to go back. Like is the company you're approaching and the people you're approaching even relevant to what you're trying to do? Is the language of the email you're writing or LinkedIn, but email in their language, or is it all you, you, you product, which is usually what it is. It's almost always too long, too me, 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 yeah. um, boring. So it's kind of like these, not to mean so much hacks and optimizations. It's just like, if you got an email like this, would you roll your eyes at it? Mm-hmm. Probably the answer is yes. Yeah. So can you write like just short to the point, focus on results to care about, email that's not too stiff not like a robot wrote it yeah add some little casual touches and try it start there and then there's all kinds of like techniques and hacks and things you can try there's an overwhelming number so it's kind of almost like start at the beginning which is right kind of target who needs it why write them a simple message here's a couple tips i mean whatever you write read it out loud first yeah and that'll catch awkwardness and then send it to yourself so you can look at what it looks like on your phone and your, and your laptop. Mm-hmm. This is true whether it's LinkedIn or email. And that alone will catch a bunch of stupid mistakes that people make. Yeah. When you send it to yourself like, oh, yeah, this, 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 that, was not good. that wasn't good. I got to yeah. do it. Um, give me an example if you can. Let's say I come to you fairly, you know, like a lead gen company or something like a SaaS or something like that. What would be – like where do you start? for your opening email? Like, is there a certain length that you like to do? I I know we want to keep it short, but is there like a format that you like to go? What would make a great email? Uh, So generally short and sweet. And I think, you know, what uh, people who do huge studies like HubSpot will look at like, you know, 100 million emails and 
You save generally like 300 to 500 characters, which is like three to five sentences. Okay. But, you know, think two to three sentences, two to four sentences, that kind of range, right? Yeah. It's not long. And I think the trick is if we think about, we, we use the term, you know, kill a word because it came from this guy, Patrick McLean, who wrote a great slide share. And you can, um, if you Google kill a word, Kill uh, K-I-L-L-A. Kill a, yeah, kill a word. Oh, kill a word. Okay, yep. Yeah, or okay. kill a word, slide share, Patrick McLean. Okay. Uh, it's just a great way he kind of reminds us to take out all the fluff. Okay. Because you, whatever your first version is going to have a bunch of fluff. Yeah. I'm trying to get rid of all the duplicative words to leave it like really punchy and blunt and easy to understand. Okay. And generally you want to, until you go called omni-channel, which is you're reaching out to people over LinkedIn, the phone, and email you know, even all at the same time or same day, rather than sticking just to, I mean, for different reasons why some people stick just to LinkedIn or some people just stick just to email. But um, in general, and, the, and this is, everything's full of exceptions, but in general, you want to reach out to your prospects using all the big channels, like LinkedIn, email, and phone. Phone, okay. Um, and do you have an example of, of an email that you guys wrote that just like killed it? Uh, no, I don't have one handy. And, but no. again, it's like, I think it's everything's it's everything's changing. And I think what um, I mean, also you can always like Google. Um, it's not that the information is not out there. It's kind of mm. like how would you write a book? Mm-hmm. You can find unlimited articles on how to write books, and they're all good articles, mm-hmm. and they might work for lots of people. They may or may not work for you. You just have to sit down and try writing a book. Mm-hmm. So all the techniques online around how to write cold emails are probably all pretty valid. You just mm-hmm. need to sit down and try, you know, write your write them. And then iterate them because part of this too is finding your voice. And the thing is that the world's getting busier. And as every the world does gets busier, as the channels get busier. And again, I really would recommend anyone to read the Impossible to Inevitable book because the beginning of the book is called Nail a Niche. Mm-hmm. And this is all about, you know, as the world gets busier, how do you kind of like make sure your signal out to the world is clear? Mm-hmm. Um, as it gets busier, one of the things that stands out is your kind of authenticity or humanity or personality. And I mean, social media, it's more obvious, right? Because people might be posting videos. You can kind of think about the certain people on social media that you follow their style. But some of that can come through in your outreach, whether it's through, you know, again, phone, LinkedIn, or email. The way you write emails, the way you, you write LinkedIn, is it very formal? Is it very casual? I do just the way I write emails are all lowercase. I don't do uppercase generally. That's mm-hmm. just my, my thing or something I do. I'm not even sure why. Do you use emojis? Do you do art? I mean, there are people who've done prospecting who will record. Of course, there's videos you can try. Some people have success, some people don't. You know, some people are just more natural at video. Some yeah. people have written songs and poems. There's a lot of ways you can express yourself through, well, anything, but in this case, even outbound. Mm-hmm. So part of this is, is you're doing, working your craft and experimenting with what works, you want to kind of find your voice as well because there is something around, you know, just if you even go to your spam box for most people and you scan through it, it's, you know, all these cold emails and does anything jump out? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it might be that it jumps out because there is, it feels like a person wrote it to you and you may not even be able to say why. Yeah. So that's one thing that will, I would, anyone should develop is that vo- your, kind of your voice in your channels. Uh-huh. And you can do that. It's still subtle, but even people, in an outbound. Yeah. And and what about you want to stand out? Like it's not even about something one thing that works is being different. So how do you be different? Okay. 
Uh, uh, call to actions. What do you like doing in the first email? Just like what would be a good call to action? Last line, like one thing that I try to do is like try just to direct classic direct response, just to get them to write one sentence back rather than doing a bigger commit, which is like, hey, can we jump on the phone? Um, do you have some recommendations on that? Yeah. Um, so I think the same thing is there's different kinds of calls to action that can work and that vary. Sometimes mm -hmm. people have had more success with people with a kind of like a hard call to action, which is where you take the meeting. Other times, so that's one version where you take the call. Um, another version is, would you be open to learning more? So it's yeah. softer. That's also had success. And so there's like, you know, there's different ones you and you got to test them. Ultimately, the answer is you test them. So yeah. one is ask for the meeting. Uh -huh. um, the second is ask more, are you open to learning more or interested in learning more? A third one, and these are on email. LinkedIn one that we found works a little bit better too is called, um, are you open to exchanging ideas? Mm -hmm. And there's a fourth one you could try. We call it conversation starter. Kind of like asking a quick question about them, which would be, you know, um, hey, mind if I ask if you have more than 20 salespeople? Okay. Or Just... are you spending, Are you have you tried paid ads on Google yet? Or it's some kind of really simple to answer, non-threatening question. Okay. Um, because, yeah, it's a, agreeing to a meeting can feel like a big commitment. Yeah. So it's a smaller one. If, if they're not doing that, what's a smaller one you can start with? It's sort of like a qualifying question as well, then it sounds like. And ideally, it's a qualifying question where, you know, if you only work with companies that have at least 20 salespeople, yeah. you say they've got three, then yeah, okay, I know it's a waste of time now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And how many emails do you send to each prospect? Uh, to one person? Yeah, do you like do, you do like five emails or, or um, is there a guideline there? You know, um it's the thing is everyone will tell you different things. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, I feel like the food industry where one expert will say, well, you do not eat meat. You only eat plants. And the other expert says, eat a bunch of meat. Mm -hmm. And a third expert says, eat 50-50. Like everyone yeah. has different opinions and they're all valid. Yeah. And the number of emails and touches is the same. So what we tend to see is, um, there's not like a magic number, but six to eight emails. Okay. You know, it's the same thing, which is every year there's a bit more of the, t the touch count goes up. Um, there's people who do studies. So let's say that now on average, you need, you want to do like 15 touches mm -hmm. prospects, whether that's a touch is a, a dial, a LinkedIn touch or social touch or an email. So the way I describe it is you tend to see the most responses in your, you know, kind of the first couple emails. Mm -hmm. And then, so like if they're actually a good fit, they probably tend to respond early and then People who are busy, you're not a fit, you know, don't respond as much in the middle. At the end, breakup emails still work. So you break up uh, and you get a, a response bump at that point too. Okay, so, so six to eight, I mean, that's... Emails, yeah. Yeah. Maybe like 15, you know, 12 to 18 total touches. And keep in mind that, again, people are human. So you have to say, okay, here's the top accounts, the five accounts or 10 accounts where I'm going to do as many touches as it needs unlimited okay. and here's the other 50 accounts where i'm going to touch them a few times but i'm not going to make it as much of a priority okay so, I have to kind of prioritize and allocate my time based on the types of accounts and i mean a lot of email can be automated but if you're going to look at we haven't even gotten into like personalizing emails yeah um, phone calls there are lots of types of touches that require your time right some that don't some that do you know don't give every prospect the same amount of time right what are your a categories get more and your B's and C's get less. Yeah. It goes back to the beginning around who needs you the most. Right. The discipline of 
putting more focus and more effort and more touching into fewer types of companies that are a better fit and not just spraying everybody because you think everyone could use this. When you say 12 to 15 touches, you mean, say, six to eight in email, say, five on LinkedIn and, you know, a couple on the phone. Is that what you is that what you mean? Yeah, so you, exactly. Okay, so you're doing yeah. that because that, that's that's an important point. And I never think of of usually when I get an email list, I just email them and I don't think about doing LinkedIn as well. So that's that sounds like um, that's uh, important. So the 12 to 15 touch yep. points. And again, you know, so this, the the message I really want to hammer home here is like know your prospect. Yeah. Know your prospect. If you're prospecting to uh, small doctor's offices, like single doctor offices or small dentist practices, email is not, you know, basically business is small enough where the proprietor is kind of running the business too. Like mm-hmm. if it's a hair salon and there's just a small and there's just a couple of people, they're probably not going to be as responsive to email, right? Because they're just busy during the day. So the mm-hmm. phone might work better. Bigger companies LinkedIn, email tend to work better than phone. So it's almost like knowing, again, your market, who are they? What do they need? What are they interested? What channels are going to be more likely to work with them? And then you got to test it. Yeah. Because everything, it's all a guess, a hypothesis till you actually try it. And being willing to adapt, um, but like know your, was it Peter Drucker? You know, like know your customer, know your customer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that really trumps all the hacks and techniques and everything else. Like know your customer. Mm-hmm. What do they care about? What are the, what metrics do they care about? What's the day in their life like? You know, you go to a C, you go to a uh, email a chief revenue officer saying, "Hey, are you interested in increasing your revenue?" Like, what a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. Right. Versus, hey, are you in the middle of integrating your outreach IO, Insight Squared, and Salesforce.com metrics to get better reporting on da da da? Yeah. Like, okay, that's my language. Yeah. You mentioned personalization, obviously. There's tools out there that personalize things, but I mean, how personal do you like to do? I mean, how much, do you have like guidelines? I know we're, we're sort of being very general here, but I mean, you want to say like each person should have five minutes spent. You should know something specific about them or do you just like go for the automatic route? No, I mean, I think, I think it's a good rule of thumb, which is, and it's just a rule of thumb, you know, five minute, if you can personalize spend five minutes to personalize it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing is some people uh, get really good at personalization, but it's also a big time sink for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So you have to, again, ultimately like you're kind of measuring your inputs and outputs, which is if I spend two hours and I get, you know, five personalized emails out or and I get 10 personalized emails out. Mm-hmm. And if I personalize my emails, I get a 20% response rate. So I send 10 emails personalized I get two positive responses. Is that better or worse than if I spend the same two hours um, setting up and sending like a hundred mass emails, but I get two positive responses. So there's this kind of input output, which is I'm putting a certain amount of effort in. What do I get out? And you have to measure that on your own. Mm-hmm. It's never quite that simple. I mean, what I like to do is use um, automated email first to kind of catch people who respond to that. And escalate to things that are more manual as you go. Yeah. Take them out. Um, Because again, yeah, a lot of it is somewhat dependent on the market, which is, do you need to personalize a lot in the market you're in? If it's super competitive uh, enterprise or whatever reason there's going on, um, do you need to? So ultimately, like whatever all the techniques and opinions are, you only know what's going to work by trying it and testing it. Yeah. Trying it. That's that's it. And I get into this debate even today. 
there was a, basically a VP of sales or equivalent who didn't like a technique the prospecting leader wanted to try. So you don't like it, suggest something else. Then you then run both and see what happens. Like yeah. don't let your opinions mean nothing until they're That's right. It's out about the data. You don't know. No. Do you feel like we've covered all of email or is there something you want to add to some important points? I mean, I think there's so much stuff out there. Let's come back to go talk to some of your prospects or people like them, mm-hmm. interview them, kind of get to know what's, what's it like in their shoes? Like what are they dealing with? What are they thinking about? What's interesting to them? Go interview three. Yeah. How many emails do they get? Uh, and well, then, then use that to write better. Yeah messaging towards those types of people that they're going to care about or at least have a chance of it'll be relevant to them. Uh-huh. And so um, with LinkedIn, it, it sounds like you would probably use a similar, it's obviously you got a lot less space, you know, you really just about one to two lines in the intro, but how many messages are you sending out and what are some of the tips that are different from your outbound strategy with email? Well, with LinkedIn, you know, they also will watch based on, you know, I don't know, I've heard like 80 is kind of like the max per day you'd want to send out mm-hmm. on connection requests. Yeah. Um, you know, there's more types of things you can do with LinkedIn. But let's say with, we've seen um, in, is that generally a connection requests work better than in mails. Okay. And with connection requests, if you add a little bit of information, like a sentence or two about, you know, whatever you're going to say, mm-hmm. you tend to get fewer acceptances, but the quality of that acceptance is higher okay so we do tend to include some information on those initial uh connection requests when we do that for clients okay and you know so the idea is if you send even 25 to 50 you know linkedin touches because you could there could be messages connection requests you know yeah social touches but if you do 25 to 50 linkedin touches a day Mm -hmm. if you're doing full-time prospecting then that's a pretty fair kind of chunk of your outbound effort right Right. And, you know, you generally don't see as many follow-up requests on LinkedIn. So a connection request, if they accept, maybe a couple of follow-up messages. You know, because you do six or eight kind of messages on LinkedIn to someone. Okay. But I couldn't say this moment if our team or someone has kind of measured the response rate between the, if they've sent one LinkedIn message versus the response rate versus the first one or second one or third one or fourth one. Mm-hmm. And what about the uh, 30,000 uh, hard limit on followers? It sounds like after a while, I mean, you have some time, but what happens when you get up close to that? You just go through and purge or? Um, I do. I don't really do prospect. I mean, I'm, I hit that limit a ways back. Mm-hmm. So I have someone on the team who goes back and kind of purges people. I don't uh, add people as much, but if you were a prospector and you were actually going out, I don't know how often prospectors hit the 30,000 limit. Mm-hmm. So... But yeah, you would just go back and purge. You know, there's always like stuff on LinkedIn. It's just, it's easier to let it lie than to go yeah. back and clean it. So at some point, do you, you, do you use any tools to um, automatically connect and send to people? I know that that may be against the yeah. LinkedIn terms and conditions, but I mean. Yeah, it's uh, my team. I can't, you know, the actual tool I'm, I'm spacing this moment uh, will be used. There's a, there's a bunch out there. Yeah. I think that's one of the tricks with LinkedIn and plugins. I'm not even familiar with. I know a bunch have been spanked and blocked. But yeah. There's still a bunch that that operate. So I don't so you don't ha- you don't have any uh, problems doing that because I know some LinkedIn experts are like, no, don't use the tools. Too risky. Um, but you don't have um, a problem with that. I don't have a problem. I think you just yeah. got to be smart. It's like my 
one parent might be completely freaked out if the other parent is teaching their two-year-old, three-year-old how to cut with a sharp knife. Yeah. Just do it carefully. Yeah. Okay. So no problems with that. And uh, do you find uh, using LinkedIn, do you find better response rates than email? I mean, is it like if you were going to focus on a channel, would you say LinkedIn? Yeah. I mean, sometimes, but really you want to do LinkedIn, email, and the phone in some way. Okay. Best and just... You know, I think when people tend to do just LinkedIn, it's a bit more of a focus because they might be juggling more than one job and they just don't have the time or energy or, or you know, like it's just too hard to juggle a bunch of different channels. Yeah. Um, or they're automating it. So it's more about, a you know, kind of efficiency of how many messages you can get out in a certain amount of time um, versus just trying to maximize the response rate per account. Yeah. So there's reasons to and people do it, but it's better if you can do uh, LinkedIn and you know, multi-channel, omni-channel. Yeah, that's right. We're running out of time, but I do want to make sure we touch on the uh, phone. Any real hot tips for phone stuff? I mean, a lot of people get to the phone and like they, you know, they sort of, oh my God, I got to make a cold call and they start freaking out. I mean, what are some advice that you have for cold calling on the phone? I mean, it's pretty simple because if most of the people listening to this haven't done it, know that cold call, there's just a couple of key points, right? A lot of cold calling still works. Yeah. There's also different ways to do it. Yeah. To use the phone. It could be again calling before you send messages or after or cold calls or research calls. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an important skill. It makes a difference. It gets results. It's like anything else, you got to, you know, learn how to do it. It takes, it might take you a few weeks or a few months to learn the skills and get your, your technique down and to build your confidence. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it's an important skill. And I would, I always, and I tell this to my kids, you know, pick up the phone. Yeah. And if, or especially if someone responds to you and there's a, a phone number in their email signature, don't email them back. Just pick up the phone. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's you can spend, good... and that's the whole point of why you're reaching out anyways, to talk to someone on the phone. Yeah, that's true. You cut right to the chase, eh? Just yeah, because like, we're not prospecting. Yeah. Like, the whole point of prospecting is not to get people to go to a link. Yeah. Which it's always to actually get on the phone with someone. That is the whole point. So just try, you know, so that's just true. do it. Especially just if you've got a, a bigger price point package. That, no, you're not going to close anyone on a $2,000 a month, you know, over a link or over an email. Yeah, you're yeah, definitely going to outbound. It'd be, yeah, it's just so un- unlikely. Yeah. And then, again, if your customers are so small, that then you're not going to be prospecting anyway. So yeah. just pick up the phone. Pick yeah. up the phone. Just be willing, be brave enough to suck at it at the beginning yeah. stages. That's good. Okay. We're getting close to the end of the time that we agreed upon. So I want to thank you for your time. Obviously, we're all going to be reaching out to uh, Impossible Inevitable, the book, yeah, right? From Impossible to Inevitable. Best place yeah. to start, you know, they call it the Growth Bible, is ranked the number one SaaS book by Book Authority. Okay. Um, especially any founders. You know, predictable revenue, they call it a sales Bible, but yeah. founders and the nailing a niche section is, or in the States, niche section, that's uh-huh. in the Impossible book. Best place to start for sure. Okay, great. Any other top SaaS book? You mentioned Peter Thiel's book. Any other top SaaS books you like? No, I mean I I haven't read many honestly, but I've heard great yeah. things about Ben Horowitz's The Hard Thing About Hard Things. So. Yeah, I've read that one. Um, I would say if you anyone who manage like my favorite management book, and there's so many good ones, but a book called a little blue book called Wooden. Okay, that's about a good. The, one. Not heard of that. the winningest uh, college basketball coach ever. Okay, so it's not about basketball; it's about you know management, but. Simple, yeah. it's easy. That was the one of the most inspirational 
you know, that and the Toyota way were the two kind of most inspirational books before I wrote my own, you know, books okay. and, and uh, built the sales team at Salesforce. Okay. Great stuff. Well, thank you so much for your time, Aaron. Yeah, Jordy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.